I hope we're all doing well. Thank you for coming. I remember at 10.40 this morning thinking, wow, okay, I will <laughs> preach to myself. That's fine. <laughs> but thank you for making the effort and thank you for waking up. <laughs> Makes it a bit more fun. And as Dad alluded to, this is the last talk that we're doing in relation to repentance in this time of Lent as we have breaks from the study we're doing in Ezekiel. And it seems there's a need for us to examine ourselves and to be really honest with ourselves, to be honest with God in this time. And yes, in this period of Lent, of course, we always do. It seems an annual thing, but also this time in history, it feels like something is shifting, something is stirring. And so today we are looking at 1 John 1, verses 5, and then to 2, chapter 2, verse 2. And in the Chapel Bibles, that's 1,225. And we'll start by reading just the first part of verse 5, which says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. In the beginning of this passage of scripture, I just wanted to give some framework and the message we're reading from, from John in this little nugget of scripture, has come from Jesus. And John is not just speaking or sharing it, but I noticed the word declare. Declaring something is very different to speaking about something. John in this moment is calling all ears to listen. Are we listening? So why don't we pray before we go any further? Yeah, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and powerful. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up our ears this morning to hear your words, to hear your voice. And that it would be your light that we welcome that we welcome to come into our hearts, minds, bodies and souls. And I ask, Father, that any words of me would fall away, but words of you would remain. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's read on. Verse 5b onwards, where it says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. And immediately we read that God is light, not a light. God is light. 
And this actually echoes the prologue of John's Gospel, where Dad read it earlier, but the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Another way of saying God is perfect is saying God is light. Light, as identified by Google, stimulates sight and makes things visible. In God being light, our physical and spiritual eyes are stimulated and we will begin to see how he sees. In God being light, it is impossible for darkness to inhabit him. And we read in verse 6 that if the word fellowship, and this is mentioned twice in this passage of scripture, and the word for fellowship here is the Greek word koinonia. I think I'm saying that right. Koinonia? Okay, cool. Koinonia. Koinonia or whatever. It's a Greek word. And it refers to the concept of joint participation. And as a result, identifies the state of unity that God is after with each of us. So you could read that verse as saying, if we claim to have unity with God and walk in darkness, we do not live out the truth. And the term walk, it led to me, led me to ponder a little bit. Because when we walk, we are active. So when we read the word walk in this section of scripture, you could understand it as meaning active participation. When we walk in darkness, we are being active in our participation of walking in the darkness. When we walk in the darkness, we are choosing our way over God's way. It seems that the world in all its aching, breaking and active rebellion, it is walking in darkness. We, as the people of God, are called to live out the truth. We, as followers of God, are called to be different. As verse 7 says, we are called to walk in the light. As he is in the light. And notice how this is present tense. It's not to have walked in the light or will walk in the light. It's walk in the light. There is no compromise on offer here. We either walk in the darkness or we walk in the light. We cannot walk in the darkness with a torch. And light exposes and uncovers. It can be easy to both willingly and unwillingly remain in the darkness. It's interesting how the grip of guilt and shame hold us in the darkness. And yet in God being light, he invites us to walk in the light as he is in the light. To be active in walking in the light. And this is a choice that we have to make. And for me personally, for the last six to nine months, I've been journeying with a friend about a struggle I've had with Instagram. And what have I written? Sorry. So there are things called reels on Instagram. They're also on Facebook. They're very, very addictive. They've been designed to be addictive. But they're between five to ten seconds long. And automatically the next one will play. 
and you can just, it's very easy. We've, most of us have probably got a touch screen, so it's very easy just to scroll, scroll, scroll. And this is something I wanted to talk through with a friend, and so we started talking about nine months ago about it, because I found that the reels I was watching would not just distract me, but disrupt the intimacy I had with Jesus. Yes, they were a distraction, but they were a disruption too. I noticed that I was choosing Instagram over a quiet time, Instagram over praying, Instagram over listening to worship music, and thought this can't be right. And in recent months, I've started some professional private mentoring and counselling. And in the first session, we were praying about what I could, what I hope to get out of these sessions. And I saw this picture of a rickety bridge. It was very broken. There were lots of steps missing. And it looked like quite a risky bridge to cross. But it felt as though this was the bridge between me and God in him becoming my go-to. That instead of Instagram being my go-to, God would be my go-to. And it was just interesting how it was a rickety bridge. I felt very challenged by that and convicted by that. Because I'd like a sturdy bridge. (laughs) And as a longing to walk in the light and for God and for God and intimacy with him, I really want, I was really challenged writing this talk. So I decided not just to deactivate Instagram like I did two weeks ago, but delete it full stop and say enough's enough. But planning this talk did deeply convict me. convicted me that on my own I am dirty and it's only Jesus that can take it only Jesus that can handle and remove my dirtiness and this is something that my counsellor and I are really working through at the minute she says to see her as a tool in Revealing Jesus who will remove the dirt and the dirge. Those burdens that we take on, even without realising. And like I said, guilt and shame wants to keep us in the darkness. But I personally and really want to encourage all of us to rebuke that guilt and shame on us. Jesus died and took all of that so that it didn't have to be us anymore. And as Christians, we often talk about the armour of God, but there's an armour that doesn't seem to be spoken about as nearly as much, and it's found in Romans chapter 13 in verse 12, where Paul says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Put on the armour of light. And this is a verse that came to mind to my counsellor while she was praying for me. She said, I think you need to have that daily choice of putting on the armour of light. And I want to encourage all of us this morning to have that almost as a daily prayer. It can be that simple sentence, I choose the armour of light. Because as Paul writes in his first letter to the Thessalonians, we are called to be children of the light. It is when we choose to walk in the light that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Not just some, 
Not just a bit, but all of it. And the terms we read in verse 7, the terms blood, purify and sin. And they are all very Levitical. So from the book of Leviticus. And I'm about to start my last theology essay. It's been a two-year journey. Can't say I'm disappointed it's coming to an end <laughs> yet. I'm sure, I'll miss, I miss, I'm sure I'll miss the learning. But writing essays has not been my favourite. But I'm about to start my last one. But my first one, we were asked to do a summary of a book of the Old Testament. And I thought, you know what? Screw it. Leviticus it is. <laughs> And it was a summary of the key themes found within the book. And I remember talking to my module lead. It was a shame because he was in Canada and COVID stopped him from coming over. But I remember saying over Zoom, I've decided to do Leviticus. And he went, oh, okay. (laughs) But I think when I was reading about Leviticus, commentators time and time again consider it to be a book like a manual or a guide to sacrifice and sacrifices. In the Levite world, the priests were offering sacrifices and there was an acknowledgement of their low status in relation to Yahweh. That is the basic foundation of why sacrifices were done. Like Dad prayed, it is saying that we may decrease and God would increase. And yet, in Jesus dying, he was the ultimate sacrifice. There were no more pagans sacrificing to their gods. No more Jews bringing sacrifices to the temple. But the blood of Jesus, and I love what Tom Wright says about this. He calls the blood of Jesus the lifeblood of God himself. The lifeblood of God himself deals with our sins in a way that animal sacrifices, all the animal sacrifices in the world could not do. And in John 12, verse 46, we read of Jesus saying, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. We really hear Jesus' heart in this. That he came into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in him should stay in darkness. Jesus doesn't want us to be walking in the darkness anymore. Anyone who believes in me, no one who believes in me, sorry, should stay in darkness. And I think we easily talk about the death of Jesus, but being honest, it's a murder. And I find that terminology changes everything. Yeah, we talk about the death of Jesus on Good Friday, but it was a brutal murder where his blood was shed. And it is that blood that purifies, cleanses, decontaminates, purges us from all our sin. And in verse 8 we read, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And I hate to break it to you, but we have all failed. We have all got it wrong. We will continue to get it wrong. 
we need to stop fooling ourselves. We have got it wrong and we will keep getting it wrong. And yet in verse 9, we read that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. Where we are so often faithless, he is faithful. And was researching quotes about forgiveness and one really stood out. And it's from the American evangelist Dwight Moody, who said, The voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. The voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. And I loved this quote because he doesn't discount sin. He doesn't wash it away. But he acknowledges that sin is loud. It can feel like sin is overwhelming. And yet where that voice of sin is louder, where it's saying, you do this, you're that, you're this, the voice of forgiveness is louder. The voice, I, but I forgive you, is louder. And verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Literally got two sentences here. The first is, ouch. And the second is, the premise of making God out to be a liar hurts my heart. I don't know if it hurts yours. But the one who says that he is truth and nothing but the truth. By us claiming to not have sinned, we are making God out to be a liar. That hurts. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, we read, My dear children, and I love the pastoral heart of John in this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And verse 1 is an important tension that we must hold as Christians. That God's desire is, of course, that we will not sin. But also recognising that we inevitably will. But we are to confess those sins. We are to keep a short account with him. And in his kindness and want of relationship with each of us, God brought to us Jesus. A.W. Tozer says, God doesn't need you, but he wants you. You can feel God's desire even in that sentence. He doesn't need us. God is self-sufficient, but he wants you. He wants that family member that doesn't follow him yet. He wants that annoying neighbour down the street. He wants us. And Jesus is our advocate. The righteous one, the very definition of righteousness. Jesus is fully qualified to be our advocate. Jesus is sinlessly perfect. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, we read, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. That in Jesus, the perfect, blameless, sinless, spotless God 
will take upon his shoulders all of humankind's sin and die as the atoning sacrifice. We struggle with our sin. Imagine taking the sin of the whole world. And yet Jesus would declare, it is finished over each and every sin we have committed or will ever commit. And in verse 2, we read that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And it's interesting, in the original context, John is writing to the Jewish Christians who might have viewed Jesus as Israel's Messiah. He was the remedy for their sins and their sins only. Them alone. But Jesus' sacrifice atones our sin, yes, but also the whole world. In response to all that Jesus has chosen to do for us, I'd love it. I thought it would be good to share in communion. And I know we did it last week, but I don't think you can do it enough, really. And just for even... To go back to what I mentioned near the beginning, it was the murder of Jesus. Yes, it was the death of him. But we don't often focus too much on how it was done. Yes, he was on a cross, but there was so much before that point too. He was whipped, beaten, attacked. For me, for you, for us. So before we do sharing communion... I'm just going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. We'll have a few moments of quiet. But it says, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So let's spend some time 